Wow, thank you. Hey, if you have been blessed by the music today, would you say amen? amen. Now, you, you say amen at Alabama-Auburn game, you need to say a louder amen here. Amen. If you've been blessed by the music, would you say amen? amen. All right, good. You're getting better at it, I think. We're almost better than the Presbyterians, but we're close. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 23? Luke chapter 23. Uh, we're in a broken world. Would you agree with that? Uh, the events of this past week uh, just kind of affirm that. As a uh, transgender person came into a Christian school with an assault rifle and killed six people. Six people. Uh, three of those were children around the age of nine. How could that happen? But it seems to be it's more frequent now than it's ever been. Uh, it happens at Walmart. It happens in schools. It happens at a country western concert. It happens in Mobile, Alabama on a frequent basis. I try all I can not to go to Mobile. That's a bad place sometimes to go. But it happens because it reaffirms again that we live in a broken world. Something's wrong with our world. Is there a fix for that? Is there some fix somewhere that could kind of fix that? Uh, politicians say what we need to do is take away the guns. That's the solution. That would be it. Our senator says is if we control those who are, are challenged. But the Bible says the solution lies at the cross. Of all places, it lies as an instrument used for suffering and pain. Now, what is the symbol for our faith? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that um, it is foolishness. The cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing, but to those who are seeing, being saved, it is the power of God. And what can come out of an instrument of suffering, is that really the power of God? What is the symbol of our faith? Well, if you ask most people, they would say it's a covered dish. Amen? Baptist, very good at covered dish. In uh, First Baptist uh, Union Town, when they have a business meeting, they always have a covered dish. And they have the business meeting first, and then the covered dish is quickly thereafter. Because Baptists love to fight, but they love to eat better than they love to fight. So they'll have a quick business meeting and get on down to the covered dish. But the symbol of our faith is the cross an instrument of suffering and pain, an instrument of punishment. Uh, it comes from the Persians. The Persians kind of invented that, and they put a cross. They made it cross. The Romans came along, and you had to carry your cross piece. But for six hours on Friday, six hours on Friday, the world was turned upside down. And it looked so bad we call it Good Friday, but for Jesus, it was a time when he took on the sin of this world and paid the price for it. 
Sometimes, sometimes we get so that we've heard it so much that it kind of just goes over our head. Uh, when Susan and I were at seminary, when I was at seminary, we were at seminary living in student housing. The Santa Fe Railroad was right down the road from us, and uh, they'd have a train about come by that uh, crossing about every uh, 25, 30 minutes. And so we'd barely get to sleep when all of a sudden that train engineer would hit that whistle. And I think what he wanted to do was get everybody out of bed because he'd make that long kind of whistle that was on there. And Susan and I'd sit straight up in the bed. But then after about, I don't know, about a month and a half, he could blow that whistle all he wanted to and it wouldn't even bother me. It, it bothered her for a little bit longer, but it didn't bother me after a while. Because there's a, there's a kind of disease that sometimes we get, and it's called dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Now, look at the person next to you. Do they look like they're dull of hearing? Would you just kind of look at them and see if you can tell by the way they look? Or are they dull of hearing? It's a disease that kind of infects the church. Because we've heard about the cross ever since kids. And one of these days uh, when I get older, I won't be able to run down this aisle and jump up there like they <laughs> jump up there. So let's look at it again and see what the cross wants to speak to us today and see what it says for us even today, where we are. Now, uh, in honor of God's word, would you stand as I read from us? Verse, we're starting with verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, which is 12 o'clock. And there was darkness over all the earth until 3 o'clock, ninth hour. Now, what's unusual about that is that it was in the Middle East. And during lunchtime, that's the highest the sun is. So something is going on that is beyond human explanation. And the sun was darkness, and the veil of the temple was torn in the midst. And that was the inner place that people worshiped God, the Holy of Holies. But God was not there anymore. God had left that place. But here's an understanding also, because the veil is torn, you and I have access into the most holy of holy places. And when Jesus had cried with a, cried with a loud voice. Now there were a lot of voices around the cross. People screaming, some shouting. Some really mad, and they held up their hands in disgust. So Jesus cries, and that's a loud kind of cry that he cried. And he said, Father, which is the Hebrew word Abba, Father, into your hands do I give my spirit. And having said this, he died, but he gave up his own spirit. Nobody took it from him. He gave up his own spirit. May God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated.
talk about the events of the cross before the cross. And we talk about the triumphant entry as he comes into Jerusalem from a place called Bethpage. And he sent uh, two of his disciples on donkey duty. Donkey duty, you go find me a donkey. But he gave them instructions and he said the instructions was to follow a guy who had a water pail on his head. And he did. And he said if he says anything about that, then you tell him the Lord has need of it. So uh, Peter and John had successful. They brought the donkey and coat back and they put Jesus on the donkey and he drives, comes down the hill into the mob. And there are those from Galilee and there's a crowd that's there and, and they're hollering like we were talking about today. Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Save us now. And it's like a carnival atmosphere as he's coming into Jerusalem. But there are those who are objecting to that. They're called the hushers. And you have those in church. Amen. They hush you. No, we don't do that in this church. And then there's a church of God. They don't have any hushers in their church. But the hushers said, quiet the crowd. And they said, if I do, these rocks will cry. Then he goes and cleans out the temple. That's the second time he cleaned out the temple. And he cleaned out the temple and that's time that we see him angry and what he's so angry is is their place in making that temple which is supposed to be a place where you meet God. It's a place where they call it a den of thieves because they were charging a lot of money to exchange the money because they only used Jewish coins and these people came from out of town. And they would charge them exorbitant amounts. You also could only use a sheep or a dove as a sacrifice. And they would have to pay tremendous amounts for this. And Jesus said, this is not a place of prayer, but it's become a den of thieves. And so he cleans out that temple. And the leader said, that's it. We've had enough. They had been plotting to kill him. It's something that they worship and then go out and plot to kill Jesus. And so when they came, they said, we got to find somebody who will turn him over. And they found Judas. And for 30 pieces of silver, Judas turned Jesus over to the rulers. Judas is an interesting story as what he could have been. He was the only disciple from Judea. He wasn't from Galilee. But he was treasurer of the group. But for whatever reason, he pushed Jesus out. And as he pushed Jesus out, Satan came in. That still works today. The more you push Jesus away, the more Satan came in. So that night as they had the supper, Jesus dipped the sop and said, whatever you do, do quickly. So he goes out and he betrays Jesus. But it was kind of quiet in that room. Last week I kind of preached about that. And everybody said, or Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And they said, who is it? It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. I don't know who it is. And Peter said, I'll stay with you no matter what happens. But there are vows that are made in a distance 
that are lost as you get closer and closer and you all of a sudden you find yourself falling away. And I know that I made that vow when I was down there in front of the church. I know I made that vow when I was there being baptized, but life has happened. And now I'm getting kind of distant. Peter did two things, three things, really. He overemphasized his ability. And Jesus said this, the flesh is willing, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he said, I can handle it. I can handle it. There's life out there in different places that will be hard to handle. He underestimated evil. Evil came at him, not in the form of an army. He was ready to fight with a sword. But evil came with him as two girls and a guy who was different from the crowd. And he said, I don't know him. And he failed to use the resources of God. When you deny and then you leave off the resources of God, it's amazing how I can skip church here, skip church there, skip church, get distance and distance, and all of a sudden it's, it's not there anymore. And you used to have it. It used to be so exciting, but the more you get away and the more you walk away, then it's kind of getting distance and distance. Peter acted too late, and he followed Jesus. The last time we see him in Acts, or excuse me, in Luke, before the Holy Spirit comes, he's, he's crying. And he's not a man who cries very easily. And he remembered what Jesus said. You will deny me before the cock crows, or deny me three times when the cock crows. He was so, had good intentions, and he said he would never do what he found himself doing. Sin in that way. Now, they put Jesus, I had, had six trials. Um, the Jewish people found him, Annas and Caiaphas, found him guilty, and then they took him to the Romans, because they wanted Romans to do this, and Romans could only... Um, uh, use capital punishment. So they took him to Pilate. Pilate didn't want him. He declared him three times innocent. He sent him off to Herod, and Herod just played with him. Jesus didn't say a word before Herod. Then he took Jesus out, and he beat him, and he said, now, isn't that enough? But before that, he said, I always have a rule that you can choose somebody else to let go and he brought out Jesus and Barabbas. And when he brought out Jesus and Barabbas, the crowd chose Barabbas. They fooled Pilate. The crowd would do that sometimes. They fooled Pilate. He thought they would choose Jesus and not choose Barabbas. And so he's at the end of his means. He doesn't know what to do. And they cry out, you're not Caesar's friend if you let him go. Caesar is our king. And so they took Jesus, beat him, beat him and beat him and beat him and then they took him to the cross now I'll give you the words that are there and you just kind of follow me and, and um, just listen as, I, as we hear these words first response from Jesus is Luke 23 verses 33 through 34 
And Jesus said this, Father, again that word's Abba, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He had said to forgive his enemies, but it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. Because anger can grow so strong inside of us. And we can have anger towards members of our family. We can have anger towards those we work with. We can have anger towards those who mistreat us and hurt us along the way. And X is here and X is there and people there. And we just kind of, we have this tendency within us to hold grudges. Some people blow up. Some people just silent. We don't speak. Um... My grandmother used to cook chitlins. Any of you ever eaten chitlins? My grandmother. Sometimes there was a guy across the street when I was at Elkdale who'd bring me chitlins. He'd bring me chitlins. So I put them in a covered dish that we had, and people would walk all the way around and get around. Whoa. (laughs) That was to get your attention. People would get all the way around not to eat those chitlins. But if you know anything about chitlins, you can't keep them in one room. If you cook them in the kitchen, they smell throughout the whole house, smells like chitlin. And when we have this unforgiven anger, it doesn't just stay in one place. It goes through the whole personality. And you wonder why you explode at this moment or you carry that anger with you and you explode at this person seems to come out of nowhere. It's because we haven't followed what the Lord's directions are in the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our sins. What's the next line? You don't sound too happy about that one. As we forgive those who what? Sin against us. And there are times that I want to take that out. But it's in there. And you can avoid it all you want to. But it's still in there. Maybe there's somebody that you need to forgive. Further down, Jesus uh, hears it from the two thieves that are there. Two thieves, one on one side and one on the other. And one was railing at him. It started from other accounts. It started like both of them was railing at him. And all of a sudden, this one thief has this change. Maybe it was because he heard forgiveness. Maybe that was what it was. But something changed in his heart. And he told the other thief, we deserve what we have. But he doesn't. And something changed within him. And he turned to Jesus and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now that's a statement of faith. Here's somebody without any clothes. They've taken off all his clothes. He's busted up and bleeding. And he's been nailed to the cross. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It doesn't look like a kingdom person. But faith sees things 
that unfaith never see. And he saw him as a king. And Jesus said, today, not tomorrow, not next week, today, you will be with me in a place called paradise. I think that's a return to Eden with a relationship to the Father. But it's a king's garden, maybe a reference there to heaven. Either way, it's a news of assurance. Because all of us need that kind of assurance. Several years ago, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, called me that his dad had just passed away. And I went to see him, and when I went to see him, his dad was a very successful businessman. He had a business that usually didn't thrive, but he was very good at making those kind of decisions. His home was a home that I could never afford. And he left his son a substantial inheritance. He was a good man in a lot of ways. The society would call him a good man in a lot of ways. Because he met all the criteria for that. And his son loved him very much and he loved his son. And we sat in front of the fireplace with the bricks that were on the fireplace. We sat down there and we talked about it. He had the will in his hand. But then he set the will down and he put his head in his hands. And as he did, he started crying. And I thought, I know he's lost his dad. But then he looked at me and he said, I didn't know my dad was saved. I didn't even know if he was saved. I wish I had some kind of assurance that my dad was saved. Good dad, I loved him, and, but I don't know if he knew Jesus. It was a moment I'd never forget. I wish that I could have given him assurance. But there was no assurance in just being a good dad, just leaving your son a lot of money and loving him, being there at all his little league games. But assurance comes from knowing Christ. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. From John, uh, we're told that he went from that to looking at his mother. And John was the only disciple there at the crucifixion. And at the crucifixion, every one of them had left. And it was all women there. The last ones at the crucifixion and the first ones at the resurrection were the women. But from John uh, chapter 19, verses 26 and 27... Jesus looked at his mother, and she had been there. Probably his father had passed away when he was 12 years old. He's not mentioned anywhere after that. But his mother had been that person who had been there for him. And as he looked at her, he said, John, take care of my mother. And from then on, uh, John took her and took care of her. And even when, when he went to Ephesus, he built a house for her. And he stopped dying long enough to take care of his mother. My mother was in a nursing home. She had Alzheimer's disease. And she didn't even know me. 
But we went up on a regular basis to see my mother. But, and I would push her in a, I used to say a wheelbarrow, a wheelchair. I'd push her in a wheelchair. And we would sing old hymns. And Mama knew every one of those hymns. She didn't know who I was. But she knew every one of those hymns. And when she passed away, my brothers and I and my wives and, and my dad, we were all around her bed, placing her in God's hands. Today, Mama, you're going to be with God in paradise. Mark 15 tells us that Jesus cried with a loud voice at noontime. Or excuse me, after noontime at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He was there from 9 o'clock in the morning to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But during the time of 12 to 3, something was going on that was deepest mystery of mankind. Mark just tells us and Matthew tells us of what he said. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And there were those who mistook that and they said he's calling out to Elijah. Elijah is supposed to come and the Jewish speculation to be there at the end times. But what was happening was the deepest thing you can ever think of. There was evil coming at it in full force. But not only was that evil coming at him full force, which he was taking the evil that had sent his way, but he was also the Lamb of God who was taking away the sin of the world. The theological word for that, he was a perpetuation for our sin. It's a wrath of God being poured out for even the transgender person who kills six people. But it's a pardon, and a pardon that is not received is not a pardon. I called my son and asked him about it. He's a lawyer, and although he doesn't appear on all these television ads, he's in the Marines, and they won't let him appear on these television ads, but uh, he's not a Shannara kind of lawyer. But he said there's some kind of Supreme Court has said when... It was offered a pardon by President Jackson, but the guy didn't want to receive it. So the Supreme Court said, if it's not received, it is not a pardon. But here's a pardon available to us. Somehow in that cry from the cross, it was my sin and your sin that was being paid for. He then said, um... I am refreshed. I need refreshment. I am thirsty. And what had happened was he had been dried out physically or drained physically. I have a friend who is a plumber, and I asked him, I said, How's your business doing? And he told me, It's draining. <laughs> is that heavy? Are you with me? Or that, did that. Go over your head. Uh, I worked at Selma Concrete, and we put in septic tanks when I was going to college. 
And you learn about a lot about people when you put in <laughs> septic tanks. He was drained physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, you would say he's a loser if you looked at that. But John goes on and says all of this is according to the will of God. Another cry from the cross came this way. Te telesta. Te telesta. It is finished. Jesus' mission here was to seek and to save those who are lost. He came as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. It's complete. It is finished. Again, it must be received. It's in the perfect tense in Greek. It's a cry. I watched last night in basketball how the team who won, they just were so excited about winning the game. That excitement is nowhere near what Jesus is saying. It is finished. It's a cry of victory. And then he cries that last cry. I think it's significant that when Jesus cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that he was saying, my God, my God. He wasn't saying, Father. There was some kind of distance between the two of them. But when he breathes his last, he goes back to using Abba. For something in there is that the relationship had been restored. It's a psalm that little Jewish boys and little Jewish girl pray before they go to bed at night. But it's a psalm from Psalm 31.5. It's the idea of, Father, into your hands do I place my spirit. Is there any other way to go? Is there any other place to place your spirit? And somehow as we walk out of the, the cemeteries, and maybe you've been there. I know I've been there. You walk out of the cemetery and you leave the remains of your loved one back there in that cemetery and you need something to hold on to and something to say, there's hope in this moment. Father, in your hands do I place my spirit. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are saved, it is the power of God. It is our hope. It is our assurance. It's what we hold on to, not only for ourselves, but for our children and the next generation that may be coming along. And for generations that have gone before us, that's what we hold on for that. It's not the end of the story. Easter is going to come. But for this moment, they're all looking across and they're thinking it's over. Is there anything else on the other side?
And that's when Easter comes. Several years ago, I went with a group of men from uh, our church in Elkdale. And we went to Washington, D.C. and the Washington Monument. And there was uh, this kind of men's conferences going on. And several men were there in that uh, bus. It was a bus, just a bus full of men. So none of us would ask for directions. Amen. That's what men do. They never ask for directions. Somehow we found Washington, D.C. It's on the map, and you can get a GPS. Maybe you could find it. But a GPS is a woman telling you where to go and what to do. So anyway, that, fortunately, we had a good GPS. And uh, we got to Washington. In between speakers, there were a couple of guys that had been to Vietnam. And, and so we said, why don't we go over to just look at the wall? I mean, I'd seen the wall before, but it's something about the wall, the Vietnam Wall. There's all these names that are on the wall, but to the visitors, that's kind of just names on the wall. But for the three of us that went over there, that was more than just names on the wall. It was part of our lives. It was firefights that we saw and people that were put on helicopters and medevaced out of places that we never saw again. So it was more than just names on the wall. I remember one guy, one in our group, there was a guy that was just tracing a name. He kept tracing that name. And the more he traced that name, the more he would just kind of cry out. And so we put our arms around and said, man, you okay? How are you doing? And he said, he took my hit. He took my hit. In the middle of a firefight, in the middle of when things were crazy, he stepped in front of me and he took my hit. Now, would you bow your heads with me this morning? cross is about Jesus saving the whole world but it's got to be personal he took my hit and are you sure that he took your hit and have you received that in your heart and bowed your knee I surrender all he paid it all I come to you with my heart and my hands and thank you for the cross. Father, we do thank you for the cross. And I pray that each one here has made that decision. Encourage their next generation to make that decision and even passed on the others where they came to know Christ as their Savior. Be with us as we um, look at the cross again, not just as something that we see and has become dull of hearing, but something that is real and personal, and it's for me. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.